defending a belief. Now, since it was in the United States of America, most of the time apologetics is associated with Christian apologetics. Now, you can have any type of apologetics. You could have Islam apologetics. You could have Buddhist apologetics. You could have somebody trying to defend any belief that they hold. But apologetics is simply defending belief. Now, if it's Christian apologetics, it's defending the belief in Christianity. And, you know, we deal with all kinds of subjects. When somebody comes up and says, you can't prove there's a God. Yes, we can, and here's how. And we defend that belief. Somebody says, yeah, well, Jesus was a good person, but he wasn't really God. Well, yes, he was, and here's how we can prove that. Well, the Bible's a pretty good book, but it's full of errors. Well, no, it's not, and let's look at why we can show that it's not. We do all kinds of things at Apologetics Press, but you might be interested to know that we've been going for about 34 years now. I've been there for about the past 15 or so. Went straight from Fried Hardeman to Apologetics Press. Have been there since I was out of college. And in the 34-year period that Apologetics Press has been around, if I were to ask you what's the most often asked about subject with which we deal, you think you'd be able to tell me? I mean, we're talking about some heady subjects here. We talk about the existence of God, the inspiration of the Bible, the deity of Christ, how you can... You know what we get most of the time? The most often... You know what our number one best-selling book is? Dinosaurs Unleashed. You know why our number one best-selling book is Dinosaurs Unleashed? Because the authors are so keen and inside... No, no, it just so happens it's got a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex on the cover. You know how to sell something? Slap a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex on the cover. Because the most often asked question about the stuff that we deal with is, yeah, well, okay, yeah, what about the dinosaur? Well, what do you mean, what about the dinosaur? Why do people ask us, what about the dinosaur? You know, there's a good reason why people ask us, what about the dinosaurs? Because some people have put it together. Some people understand that what they've been taught about the dinosaurs is not what the Bible says about the dinosaurs. And so what they've been taught and what the Bible says is kind of at odds. So, hey, you Christians, I mean, hey, yeah, you might can answer this existence of God stuff and this inspiration, about, but what about the dinosaurs? We know some stuff about them. Do you know if I were to go all over this country and assemble a thousand third graders in every place that I went, and I asked them this simple question, did humans and dinosaurs ever live together? Generally speaking, do you know what every single one of them would answer? No. If I were to say, how long ago did dinosaurs live? Generally speaking, out of a thousand third graders, there might be one who had a bootleg copy of Dinosaurs Unleashed snuck into his school that knew the right answer, but generally speaking, every single one of them would answer, how long have dinosaurs been gone? You know what they would say? Millions of years. Most of them, third graders, happen to know quite a bit more about dinosaurs generally than we even think, could tell us about 65 million years ago. Now, why does that pose a, a problem for a person that would believe in the Bible? Well, what I'm going to show you tonight is it doesn't pose a problem, and we're going to see that dinosaurs didn't live millions and millions of years ago, and that humans did live at the same time as dinosaurs, but the reason that most people think it poses a problem is because in Genesis chapter 1, on what day did God make all land-living creatures? Day 6, on what day did God create humans? Day 6, in fact, not only did he just create humans, he created Adam, and then he paraded the land-living creatures before Adam, and Adam named the kinds of animals, cattle and 
birds, I mean, uh, various different kinds of animals. I'm trying to think of some more. He would name them cattle and cats and dogs and the various kinds. But there was not found a suitable helper for Adam, was there, when all of those creatures came before If all of the land-living creatures came before Adam for him to name them, then what group would that have included? Dinosaurs. And so how in the world is the 65-million-year-old scenario right if humans and dinosaurs have been on the earth from the first six days of creation? Oh, and by the way, if I were just to ask in the modern, about last 20 years, uh, are dinosaurs extinct? You get a yes, but. Yes, but their ancestors are still here. In fact, you might be looking out your back window and see on a bird feeder a red bird sitting there eating from that bird seed, and that red bird is really a Tyrannosaurus rex that has evolved into a red bird over the last 65 million years. You know, we're told now that dinosaurs evolved into birds. In fact, lots of times you see them on covers of magazines. They've got feathers. You know, we've never found, not a single one time, found a dinosaur fossil that has feathers on it. Now, you're going to read that we found all kinds of feathered dinosaurs. When you look into the literature, what you're going to find out is that there are some filaments that are around the fossils of the dinosaurs. When you ask, do they look anything like feathers? They say, no. They're proto-feathers. You say, they're proto-feathers? What's that mean? Well, they're the things that come before feathers. Oh, you mean to tell me that we've got fossilized feathers and we can compare a fossilized feather to this thing you're calling a proto-feather. This thing doesn't look anything like the feather, but it's a proto-feather. Why? Well, they say, well, because birds evolved into di- di- dinosaurs evolved into birds. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, because they've got feathers. Now, folks, that is funny, but you know what? In one sense, it's not, because that's exactly how they argue. Now, let me ask you a question on what day were birds created. Day five. On what day were all land-living creatures created? Day six. Dinosaurs couldn't have evolved into birds. Birds were created a day before dinosaurs were created. You know, there are some people who have tried to take the ideas of evolution and the ideas of creation, <coughs> jam them together and make them work. So that when they talk to people who believe in God, they say, oh yeah, I believe in God. And when they talk to people who believe in evolution, they say, oh yeah, I believe in evolution. But if you were just to look at the scenarios of evolution and creation as presented in the Bible, you can't fit them. Not only is there not enough time in the Bible, which we're going to look at tomorrow morning, but you can't get the sequences right. According to evolution, which came first, the sun or the earth? You see, what we're told is after the Big Bang, the sun started coalescing out of space dust, and then the earth started being pulled by the gravitational force of the sun, according to Genesis chapter 1, which came first, the sun of the earth. The earth was created at the very beginning, and the sun didn't come around until day 4. Now, folks, evolutionarily, you can't fit that. It doesn't work. You can't take the Bible and shove evolution into it. And we're going to look at that some more tomorrow. But what we're going to deal with this evening is this. Every single text, article, video, movie you've ever seen on dinosaurs, virtually, if it hasn't come from a creation science background, says this exact thing. Let me show you what I mean. This guy right here in the middle is looking at the BC Boy comic book, and he says, well, this story is make-believe. Why? Well, this guy says, well, because there were no dinosaurs during the time of cave people. And Flory writes for us a little report up here, and she says, no people ever saw a live dinosaur. When early humans appeared on Earth, dinosaurs had already been dead for millions of years. People found out about dinosaurs from their fossils. 
Now listen to me, listen to me close. That's the singular idea that every single publisher virtually in the country wants to get across to the young people who read their material. No human being's ever seen a live dinosaur. If you can teach a kid that no human being has ever seen a live dinosaur, then they cannot believe in Genesis chapter 1. And the evolutionists know this. And so, it doesn't matter if they teach your kid that a Tyrannosaurus rex had a skull that was five and a half feet long and had 60 razor-sharp serrated steak knife-like teeth in its mouth and could bite off a single bite of meat that weighed 500 pounds in one bite and was 46 feet long and 20 feet high at the hips. All that's very interesting, and kids love it. But that's not what they're trying to teach. They use that as the worm on the hook so that when that kid starts looking at this massive Tyrannosaurus Rex and how awesome it is, and he wants to know more about this Tyrannosaurus Rex, and we can show him a skull that's five and a half feet long that we dug out of the ground. Oh, and then, by the way, no human being's ever seen one of these live. Well, if the guy presents the skull to him and he shows him the teeth and then gives him another piece of information that's not verified, most of the time he swallows that too, doesn't he? Well, keep going with me. man by the name of Philip Kitcher... He wrote a book called Abusing Science, The Case Against Creationism. Stephen Jay Gould, who we talked about already, said that this was a brilliant book. Now, he said that if we could find solid evidence for the coexistence of dinosaurs and humans, that would shake the foundation of evolutionary theory. Because, of course, the dinosaurs are supposed to have been long extinct by the time that the hominids, three dead humans, arrived on the scene. Let me tell you why we deal with dinosaurs. I got an email the other day from a, a distraught mother. She said, I need some help. She said, I am losing my, I believe, 15-year-old and 13-year-old. They're losing their faith. And she said, dinosaurs were the first place that they started losing. You know, I have talked to some people, and they say, why do y'all deal with dinosaurs? I mean, it's not, even a, it's, not even a, it's not a salvation issue. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus and the gospel. Why do you deal with dinosaurs so often? I want to take you back to 1 Peter, and I want you to listen to it close. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone, a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. Folks, if someone comes up to you and says, I can't be a Christian because I can't reconcile dinosaurs with the Bible, don't you feel like it's our responsibility to have a reasonable explanation as to how we can? Yeah. Not only is it something that we should do just because we need to, it's something that God has commanded us to do. Now, here's how you could proceed. You could do this. I don't, but you could. You could say the Bible is the inspired Word of God. I know it is because not only does it have predictive prophecy in it, but it's perfectly accurate in all of its details. It has perfect scientific foreknowledge in it, and it has superhuman characteristics that show that it's divine. And the Bible says God created everything in six literal 24-hour days, and that's how I know God made dinosaurs. You could do that. No, we don't. That's a way to prove it if you wanted to. You would just then need to prove the inspiration of the Bible first. We have an entire series of lessons on that if you wanted to take that approach. There's also the approach 
that you can look at all of the evidence available, even the scientific evidence that the evolutionists themselves admit is there, and ask, does this evidence fit into what the Bible says? And this approach would be saying, we're not going to believe it just because the Bible says it. We're going to believe it because the Bible presents this as the situation and the evidence that we see shows this to be the case. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you can't say the Bible says it and that's true, because you can if you prove the Bible's inspired. But let's take this approach and see if there is evidence. Now, folks, this is as flashy and as PowerPoint. I don't know what you would say, but I want you to look at that screen and watch it. This is what we're going to do right here. You see that? That's as exciting as it gets. So if you slept through that right there, guys then I can't help you anymore. We're going to shake the foundations of evolutionary theory. So what would we need to shake the foundations of evolutionary theory? Evidence that humans coexisted with dinosaurs. Is there any of that available? It just so happens there happens to be a lot of that available. Now, I put this slide up because years ago when I first started, I guess I had been doing this for about a year, and I had 150 first through third grade kids. And boy, I delivered 45 minutes of this material to 151st grade through 3rd grade kids. you see the problem starting right there already? 45 minutes to 1st through 3rd grade kids? Yeah, right, all right. Well, anyway, I delivered it, and I thought I had done a great job, and I was, yeah, oh, man, these, these kids were the luckiest kids in the world to have me come explain this stuff because I was so lucid in my explanation as to showing that humans and dinosaurs did live together, and to prove what a great job I had done, I was going to ask a simple question. Did humans and dinosaurs ever live together? And what did I expect them all to say in unison? Yes. When I said, guys, did humans and dinosaurs ever live together? Do you know what they said? No. I said, what? I said, I just spent 45 minutes telling you guys that humans and dinosaurs live together. I gave you all of the evidence. Why did you say? They did not. One little kid raised his hand. He said, well, because you put up a slide that said no human beings ever seen a live dinosaur, I said, oh, that's it. I said, that is it. I said, from now on, anytime you see this National Geographic statement that no human beings ever seen a live dinosaur, you're going to see the biggest, fattest red wrong on that that you have ever seen so that if you happen to be a first through third grader and you happen to be listening even when we get to about 45 minutes, what you've seen over and over in your brain is this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Okay? You tracking now? All right, this is not what I'm teaching. I am not teaching that no human beings ever seen a live dinosaur. In fact, that is, how'd that get there? Wrong. That is wrong. Now, let's ask ourselves this question. If we wanted to present some information that would show humans and dinosaurs live together, like I said, we have been told that humans and dinosaurs are separated by 60 million years. Supposedly, the first dinosaur started evolving about 225 million years ago, they waxed and waned until about 65 million years ago where supposedly a huge meteor right hit the Yucatan Peninsula and caused massive worldwide catastrophes that killed off the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. Supposedly humans didn't evolve in one form or another until about 5 million years ago and we were separated from dinosaurs by 60 million years. That's the general scenario. Now, they were uncovering some dinosaur fossils. They thought, and you know what a fossil is most of the time. A fossil is a rock in the shape of a bone of something in the past. Now, it can be all kinds of other stuff. It could be a footprint or whatever. But generally speaking, you've got a rock. 
and it's shaped just exactly like a dinosaur bone. Now, it's not a bone anymore. It's a rock. The minerals have soaked through it and replaced all of the bone-type stuff. And most of the time, it's silica, and you're holding a really heavy thing that looks just like a bone, but it's a rock. You understand what I'm trying to say? When you find the eggs, and they can zoom in by x-ray and look at the embryos inside the eggs, they're not the embryos anymore. They don't have embryo bone. They don't have skin. They don't have whatever. They're rocks in the shape of the embryo. Tracking with me? What happens when you've got a femur from a Tyrannosaurus rex that you think is 70 million years old and it accidentally breaks? And you look inside. And you find this. Soft tissue. In fact, soft tissue that's so stretchy they say you can grab it and pull it apart and let it go. It snaps back together. That's how pliable it still is. And there are red blood cells, at least fragments of red blood cells, still in it. Now, if this is anywhere close to 65 million years old, you can't have soft tissue. You should say, wow, we have been wrong about our dating method. We need to reconsider this. What do you think the evolutionary community did say? Wow, we didn't know soft tissue could last for 70 million years. Guess what? I didn't know that either. You know why I didn't know that? Because it can't. Soft tissue doesn't last 70 million years. So at the outset, we should be. Do you know that the lady who found this, she was reticent to put her actual findings out there? Do you know why she was reticent to put her actual findings out there? Because she understood what the evolutionary community had been teaching for years and years. She thought, most likely, that she was going to lose her job for putting out the fact that she found soft tissue in Tyrannosaurus rex femur bone. Why? Well, because dinosaurs living in modern times, at least not millions of years ago, that is a problem for somebody, isn't it? But not the creationists. If you believe that God created humans and dinosaurs at the exact same time, and you run across a dinosaur, what you thought was a fossil, and it breaks open, you find soft tissue in it, guess what? You don't have a problem with that. In fact, that fits right into exactly what you've always thought and been taught, doesn't it? Now, most of the time, are you going to see most of this kind of stuff in a textbook? Most of this stuff's not ever going to make it to the schools. The kids aren't really even going to know lots of times that there's soft tissue in dinosaur bone. Now, if they dig far enough after they get out of some Ph.D. program somewhere and they care enough to find it, they might. Continue with me. This is the Natural Bridges National Monument. It is on the border of Wyoming and Utah. Several years ago, Eric Lyons and myself drove about 1,200 miles in about three days to see this and several other things I'm about to show you. One of these things is the Kachina Natural Bridge. Really cool place. It's famous mostly for being a natural bridge. This is me. I don't know if you can see me right here, but I'm looking about like a little action figure compared to this natural bridge. It's the second largest natural bridge in the whole world, if I understand it correctly. This might be the third. Kachina Natural Bridge actually might be the third. What's interesting about the Kachina Natural Bridge is on it, the Anasazi Indians carved stuff. They carved all kinds of things. They carved something like an ibex. An ibex is a wild goat that apparently used to live in the area, a wild goat that has horns that stretch all the way almost to its back. Carved something like a human figurine with shoulders and a head, legs. 
They put red ochre handprints all over the walls and the caves and the bridges out in this area. But also they uh, carved something that Eric Lyons is kneeling right beside. I don't know if you can see it real well. You can see it pretty good right there. I'm going to outline it for you. You know, we've showed this to a lot of kids across the country. And we've asked a simple question, what's that look like? You know what it looks like? But I don't have to tell you what it looks like. It looks just like a horse, doesn't it? Does that look anything like a horse to you? What's that look like? You know, if we have audiences where we're asking them to answer virtually, I, in fact, I don't know if I have ever had one person ever, ever say, that looks like anything other than a dinosaur. Looks just like one. Let me ask you a question. If you're an evolutionist and you've always been taught that dinosaurs and humans were separated by millions of years and you come to the Anasazi Indians who are carving before we ever started digging up dinosaur fossils and you see a picture of something that looks just like a dinosaur, what do you do with that? Well, first you would probably try to say it's fake. The problem is you can't say it's fake because there's a natural desert varnish that builds up over these carvings and so it looks just like the one next to it and next to it and there's no possible way you can say it's fake. So let me show you what a couple of evolutionists, a guy by the name of Fran Barnes. Fran Barnes wrote about this particular carving. This guy's an evolutionist. All he does is study the rock art and talk about the Indian groups. He doesn't believe in creation. He is not the creationist friend. He's not trying to help creationists in any way with dinosaurs and humans. But here's what he says. There's a petroglyph, a natural bridge, natural monument that bears a... Excuse me. Pardon me. Were you startled by that? Okay, let me bears a startling resemblance to a dinosaur, specifically a brontosaur. What does the word startling mean? Uh, several years ago, my dad, my mom often jokes that she had to raise four boys, me and my two brothers and my dad, he brought home a six-foot-long black snake and he said, kids, here you go. You can have this as a pet. We thought, oh, this is crazy. He caught it in the barn and we brought it home in a feed sack, and we thought, this is awesome, man. We had a six-foot-long black snake. We were playing with it, let it wrap around our arm and stuff. We put it in an aquarium. The old aquarium didn't have any water in it. We thought, this is going to be great. We woke up the next morning. We had put a lid on it, and I don't think we had put a, put a rock on the top of it. Woke up the next morning and looked in our cage. Much to our mom's chagrin, no black snake. So we thought, wonder where that thing went. And we looked all over the place for that black snake, and we didn't find it. But there was a little hole right under the screen door, and we thought, you know what? Hey, if a black snake gets out, where are they going to try to go? They're going to try to go outside. So we assumed that the black snake went outside. Three days later, my mom goes to her closet, as I recall, to find a pair of shoes. We hear a blood-curdling scream. Because she was... Startled, yes. She was startled because she went looking for shoes and she found a six-foot-long black snake. You know, you're just not expecting six-foot-long black snakes in your closet. It's startling. It's kind of scary. That's just not something you wait to see. You're not thinking, okay, I'm going to get my best pair of shoes if there's not a six-foot-long black snake in here. That's just not what you do. You expect shoes. Why in the world would a person who's always been taught that humans and dinosaurs never existed together be startled by this piece of information? Well, because that's not what he's expecting. It's something that he's seeing that what he's been taught doesn't make sense with what he's looking at. 
He's getting scared by a six-foot-long black snake when he sees a picture of something that looks just like a dinosaur, except it's carved by Indians who could not have put it there because of any fossil find. If they put it there, they would have to have seen the creature. And that's very startling to me. Well, it just so happens, Eric Lyons is standing by the hip bone of an Apatosaurus. Now, if you look closely, you might have recognized that he said, this looks like a Brontosaurus. I'm going to take a really quick side street here and explain to you that there never was such a thing as a Brontosaurus. You say, oh, man. When I was a kid, I watched the Flintstones. That can't be right, Kyle, because you know what kind of burgers they ate? Brontosaurus burgers. You remember that? Oh, yeah. And those big, that big old slab of ribs, whatever that was that they threw on the side of the little car that tossed it over there. Man, that's Bron- hey, if the Flintstones ate Brontosaurus burgers, then Kyle, I don't know what you're trying to teach us, but there's a bunch of... Let me tell you what actually happened. The first scientist who found the Apatosaurus got to name it. Now, whoever finds the creature first gets to name the dinosaur. This guy found an Apatosaurus, he named it the Apatosaurus, and that's what the creature's name was. Another guy found the body bones of something that kind of looked like an Apatosaurus, but didn't have a head. He goes down the creek about four miles, he finds a head, he takes that head, plants it on the body bones of the creature he found, and names it the Brontosaurus. So we've got a new creature here, it's called the Brontosaurus. Problem was, later they found out, that head that you put on that body doesn't really fit with that body. That head is the head of a Camarasaurus, and you smacked it on the body of an Apatosaurus, and you named it a Brontosaurus, and there never really was a Brontosaurus. It was really just a Camarasaurus head on a Apatosaurus body. Okay? Now I say all that to say, what you're looking at right here is Eric Lyons standing right beside the hip bone fragments of an Apatosaurus. If the Indians carved something that looked just exactly like an Apatosaurus, and you find the bones 40 miles away of an Apatosaurus, what does that mean? Well, that means the Indians were in the right place to have seen actual Apatosauruses because we know they lived there because we got the bones. And that's what to an evolutionist? That's startling, isn't it? Who's got a problem with that kind of information? I don't. Somebody does. Somebody's got a problem with it. Well, let me keep going and explain to you. Wrong, right there. Uh, this is a series of temples that was built in 1187. A.D. by a man named Jabarman VII because he loved his mama. And he wanted everybody else in the world to love his mama. And so he built a group of temples for his mother to say, Mom, you're the greatest mom in the world, and I want everybody when they come into these temples to see how great my mom is. That's really what happened here. In honor of his mother, he built all these temples, and there are all kinds of these across the area here in Cambodia. Well, it just so happens if you were to look on the walls and stuff, you would see lots of pagan idol worship carvings and some stuff like that. On one of these walls, you would see this particular column. And on this particular column, you see some stuff carved into the column. Something like maybe a salamander. Kind of looks like a crocodile, got a flat head, long tail. Maybe something like some type of oh, cow or something with a thick body, small tail, horns. Then you see this right here. Now, generally speaking, if I ask 3,000 third graders who are sitting in the audience, hey, what does that look like? You know what they say? Well, that looks like a wild pig with bushes behind it. Folks, if you're an evolutionist 
And you can't say that this is fake, and you can't. If you were to look right here, you see that black stuff? It's called patina. It's all over the entire temple. That patina cannot be faked. You can't artificialize patina. It builds up over years and years and years. It's the exact same kind of stone. It's the exact same kind of patina. It's built perfectly into all the... There are 40 feet of rock above this that weigh several hundreds of tons. You can't pull that out and stick it in. You can't say it's fake. So if you've always been taught that no human being's ever seen a live dinosaur and you come to something that looks just like one, what do the first thing you want to say is, well, it's fake. If you can't say it's fake, what can you do with it? Well, the best you can do is say, you know what? No, 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 it doesn't look like a dinosaur. The best explanation that I have seen from an evolutionist trying to explain this away is to say that that just doesn't look like a dinosaur. It looks like something else. It looks like a chameleon or it looks like a wild pig with bushes behind it. Oh, it just so happens that the bushes are perfectly placed on its back just exactly like a dinosaur that we know called a stegosaurus. And I mean, just by the way, when was the last time you saw a wild pig with a tail that looked like that? Well, if you're starting to try to... You look at that. This is one of those little creatures that hatches out of one of those eggs that you get at a toy store for a dollar, right? Yeah, hey, the head might be a little bit bigger, the tail might be... What did the manufacturer of that want it to look like? A stegosaurus. What did the artist who carved that want it to look like? Folks, it looks just exactly like you would expect a stegosaurus to look. Now, let me ask you a question. When you go to people who don't have a dog in the fight, they're not creationists, they don't really want to help creation, uh, these guys, all they do is study the art on Cambodian temples. That's all they do. I mean, it's not like we said, hey guys, we're trying to prove humans and dinosaurs live together. Can you give us a juicy quote along those lines? No, here, all they do is they study ancient Angkor and they tell you about the art. Watch this. Michael Freeman, Claude Jakies, among the vertical strip of round jewels at the angle between the south wall of the porch and the east wall of the main body of the Gapura, sounds pretty technical, doesn't it? There is even a very convincing representation of a stegosaur. You know why this guy says that? Because he is honest enough to recognize that it looks just like a stegosaur. Now, if it was built in 1187, we didn't start digging up dinosaur fossils until hundreds and hundreds of years after that. What's this pose a problem for? Does it pose a problem for the person who believes in creation? Certainly not. Does it pose a problem to somebody who says no human being's ever seen a live dinosaur? It certainly does. I don't have time to go through these. They're interesting too. I was going to try to actually cut them out, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to let these people see these, and we've got great explanations for these, but I can't give it to you now. You'll have to get it off of our website or out of one of our books because it just goes to show that no human being's ever seen a live dinosaur is false. Now, what's the Bible got to say about it? You know, that's really a good question. And lots of times, at this point, the person says, oh, this is where you're busting creations because if I wanted to find the word dinosaur in my Bible, it's not there. It's never been there. In fact, if I were to ask you to turn your Bibles to the passage that discusses dinosaurs, you would turn for a rather long time, I should think, and never find a passage that has the word dinosaur in it. Why? Well, there's a really good reason for that. Number one, what kind of word is dinosaur? I mean, did it come from the Latin? Did it come from Greek? Did it come from Hebrew? 
Oh, no, it's an it's a English word. It was made up by an Englishman in 1847. There's a man by the name of Sir Richard Owen who was an anatomist who found so many of these huge lizard-like creatures from the past, he coined a new term in 1847 and he named them dinosaurs, fearfully great lizards. So you mean to tell me that before 1847 the word didn't even exist? Sure. When was your King James Version translated originally? 1611. What was it originally written in? Your Old Testament originally written in almost all Hebrew. New Testament written originally in Greek. This isn't a Hebrew word. It's not a Greek word. It's a made-up word from English in 1847, which is what? Oh, you're looking at 1,700 years after the New Testament was written and what, 3,500 years after the Old Testament was written? Why would you expect to find the word dinosaur in the Bible? That'd be crazy. It's an English word. It's not there. Oh, and by the way, you don't need to find the word dinosaur in the Bible any more than you need to find the word kangaroo in the Bible. You know what I mean by that. If you were to look in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, here's what the text says. For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. How much does that leave out? All that's in them? None. So if we were to say, on what day did God make kangaroos, and a person were to say, well, God didn't make kangaroos, you were to say, why? Well, the Bible never used the word kangaroo. Well, that's true, but doesn't mean God doesn't make, didn't make kangaroos. Doesn't mean the Bible doesn't talk about kangaroos. If a kangaroo is a land-living animal, on what day did God make kangaroos? Day six. You don't have to find the word kangaroo in the Bible to understand God made kangaroos on day six. What about koala bears? You ever read about a koala bear? Well, you have indirectly read that God created everything in six literal 24-hour days. So if God created everything in six days and koala bears are land-living animals, what day would they have been created on? Day six. Okay, now let's follow our logic. If dinosaurs are land-living animals, what day would they have been created on? Day six. However, I think we can do a little better than that. When I say better than that, what I mean is, okay, that proves our case. We wouldn't have to go any further, but I think we can add to that. Now let me show you what I mean by that. In the book of Job, if you'll remember, Job has gone to God and he said, God, I don't think you treat me fair. I want to talk to you. There's just a problem. If you come down and talk to me, your presence by itself will kill me. If you will make me a deal, you come down and talk to me and you don't kill me when you show up, then I think I can present my case so well that you'll realize you haven't been treating me right. God says, okay, let's see what you got. So God comes down, he starts talking to Job, and in the middle of his discussion, God starts trying to show Job that he doesn't know what's happening. He says, Job, where were you when I created that world out of nothing? Job, where were you when I hung the world on nothing? Job, he starts asking Job a bunch of questions, and Job realizes, oh, you know what? I don't know as much as I thought I did. I'm not as big as I thought I was. And God is, and so God knows what he's doing. I should just leave this up to God. But in the middle of it, God says to Job, Job, I want you to stop and I want you to pay attention here, if you don't mind. Look at the behemoth which I made along with you. You know, I'm convinced there's not an extraneous word in the Bible. They're not in there just for fun. God's got a few pages to put in everything that he wants humanity to know for all time. If you were to compare it to a work like a all some of the Russian novelists like War and Peace, it's shorter than War and Peace, and yet it's from the Creator and it gives you everything you need to know. God's not wasting words. Why do you think he put in this particular passage, Job, look at the behemoth, which I made along with you. What's he wants Job to know? This creature, you can see it. I made it at the same time I made you. Well, tell me about this creature. 
Well, the American Standard translators have circled the word behemoth for you, and they've put a little translating note, and they said, well, this is supposed to be uh, maybe an elephant or hippopotamus. Why? American Standard translated in 1901. Why do you think they said it's supposed to be an elephant or a hippopotamus? If they had a bigger land-living animal in 1901, do you think they would have mentioned that one? Sure they would have. They mentioned the elephant or the hippopotamus because that happens to be the largest two land-living creatures that they knew of at the time that were still in existence. Of course, Job wasn't written in 1901. Job was written in approximately, most scholars suggest, about 3000 B.C. The question is not, are the elephant and the hippopotamus the largest animals we've got now? The question is, does the description match an elephant or a hippopotamus? Well, they say, it's supposed to be an elephant or a hippopotamus. Let's uh, analyze that. Eats grass like an ox. Elephants and hippos eat grass. His strength is in his hips. His power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. Well, what does that mean? You know every time virtually you read anything about a cedar in the Bible, there's one aspect of the cedar that is focused on and emphasized in every single instance. You know what it is? It's how big the cedar is. He shall grow up like a cedar, a cedar of high stature, whose height was like the height of the cedars, one of the highest branches of the high cedars. What's the point of saying it's like a cedar? It's really big. Okay. All right, now let's put that test this is an oriental cedar. These guys are about five and a half, six foot tall men standing around the base of one of these 150 foot tall cedars. Let's ask ourselves a simple question. Was this an elephant or a hippopotamus? Do they swing their tails like a cedar? Folks, that doesn't look anything like a cedar. Okay, maybe the hippo will be a little bit better for you. No. Those tails don't look like cedars. Now, very simple question. Was there a creature that once lived that everybody absolutely can recognize swung his tail like a cedar? What about that? Does that look like a cedar to you? Yeah. Now, why wouldn't the 1901 translators of the American Standard say, maybe it's a dinosaur? Well because they'd always been taught that no human beings ever seen a live dinosaur. But folks, we've got a description of an animal that matches dinosaurs perfectly. Now here's why I want you to stop and think. What have dinosaurs been used to do for the last 65 years? They've been used as the poster children of evolution. And yet God used dinosaurs, or at least a creature that closely matches the description of a dinosaur in 3000 B.C. to prove to Job how big God is. Do you think it's remarkable to a child to see a blue whale described that has a heart the size of a Volkswagen Beetle that an adult could crawl through its aorta that has a tongue so big that 50 grown adults could stand on it at one time? Do you think it's awesome for a kid to know that God made that whale and God made you too? And what was God doing with the behemoth? He was saying, Job, I made this creature along with you. Now I want you to look at it and I want you to see how awesome it is and that's going to show you how awesome I the evolutionists have hijacked dinosaurs to teach 
evolution. If God created the dinosaurs, then what were they put here to do? Glorify God. And yet we've let the evolutionists take them from us and indoctrinate our children with the idea that dinosaurs prove that the Bible can't be right. And what I'd like to suggest is it's time we take the dinosaurs back. It's time we show our kids a Tyrannosaurus Rex and we show them the 13-inch long tooth that is bigger than any banana they've ever seen and we say, isn't God awesome? And we show them a huge Apatosaurus that swings his tail like a cedar. That's His tail is the size of three hippos end to end. And we say, have you ever seen a human that could make something like that? No, you haven't, but you've got a God that can because that's exactly what God was doing with Job. Now, where'd they go? I mean, we don't have them now. We don't have a dinosaur. That's why we're having this discussion. Do you know that even the evolutionists admit that 98% of all the creatures that have ever lived on this earth are extinct? Listen to me again. 98% of all creatures that have lived on this earth in the past are extinct. That means if you had a list of all of the creatures that have ever lived and you drew a circle around 98% of that list, only 2% of all of the animals that have ever lived are still in existence today. You don't see saber-toothed tigers. You don't see woolly mammoths. You don't see dodo birds. You know why you don't see dodo birds? They tasted like chicken and they didn't fly away when people whacked them on the head. Uh, dodo birds were the... Look, sailors came up and the sailors had been at the sea for a, a long time and they were really hungry and they wanted a nice hot meal and they saw a big flock of dodo birds and they went up to the dodo birds and the dodo birds said, hey, what are y'all doing? The sailors said, I'm going to see what that tastes like. Whack! Whacked them, drug them back, cooked them up and thought, wow, this tastes great. You know what's going to happen to a bunch of birds that don't fly away from humans that taste like chicken? They're going extinct. I hate to tell you. You had not seen any dodo birds. Well, why has no one ever called me and said, Kyle, I want you to do a lesson on the dodo birds. We really want to know why that poses a problem for people who believe in the Bible. Well, guess what? Dodo birds don't pose a problem for people who believe in the Bible and need to do dinosaurs. Where'd they go, though? I mean, why don't we have them today? Well, let me, let me explain a couple things. One of the reasons that we don't have them today is that the scientists have defined them how they wanted to, and so they just defined them out of existence. What I mean by that is, uh, the dinosaurs that they describe, some of them were the size of chickens, some of them were the size of Tyrannosaurus rexes. Uh, if you've got a lizard that's the size of a chicken, or even smaller, some of them were 18 inches to 24 inches long, and they've said, okay, that was a dinosaur and it's no longer existent. Do we still have some fearfully great lizards that are alive today? You think the Komodo dragon's pretty big? I mean, he can weigh 200 pounds, can eat uh, about 80% of his own body weight in a single meal? That's impressive. I mean, probably like some of the teenage boys that you know. I mean, they can... Uh, go into a meal weighing 100 pounds and come out of the meal weighing 180 pounds and they can do that in 15 minutes and they eat hair, hoof, every single thing that's involved in the meal? Well, like I said, teenage boys, well, that's a pretty neat lizard and it's a lot bigger than a chicken that weighs 200 pounds. Why isn't that called a dinosaur? Well, basically the scientists have just said, we're going to call dinosaurs ones that have this certain hip or that look just like this and the rest of them we're just going to say aren't. Well, do we still have some pretty big lizards, some saltwater crocodiles that can grow to be 32 feet long? Pretty big. Monitor lizards, Komodo dragons? Sure. So what we might ask is, well, why do you get to define what's a dinosaur and what's not? I've got a 
pound lizard that can run as fast as a horse can gallop for short distances and can eat uh, 80% of its own body weight, and that's pretty neat to me. Okay, but what about the, the ones that they just call dinosaurs, like the Tyrannosaurus rex, Stegosaurus, etc.? Where'd they go? Like I said, we're told huge meteorite whacked into Yucatan Peninsula 65 million years ago. Here's the problem with that. Supposedly sharks were still alive, were alive at that time. We've still got sharks. Supposedly crocodiles were alive at that time. Still got crocodiles. Supposedly turtles were alive at that time. Still got turtles. How come it didn't kill all those? Good question, huh? Well, let's see what I think is a much better answer. You go to the Dinosaur National Monument, you look right in here, there's no wall, no bricks. In fact, actually, they've had to condemn this building, and you can't even go in it anymore. Eric Lines and I went in about 2005. It's built onto the cliff so that if you were to look at that side of the wall, this is what you see. The in-situ fossils of these dinosaurs, meaning they're there and they haven't been taken out. It's not like they've been removed and put in a museum. They are the cliff wall. And so, like, if you were looking straight through here, you could look in and you see that right there. That's the wall. All right. As you're looking at this, on the right side, it's two levels, about this high, actually. So you can walk down the lower floor and then up on the upper floor. You can walk there. And there are little placards that describe what you're looking at. It'll say, okay, this is the backbone of a stegosaurus. Here are some of the vertebrae right here that you can see. Here's the longer backbone. Okay, this is a femur. But then there is an explanation as to how they say the dinosaur fossils got there, right? They give you this picture. And they say, after a seasonal flood, this scene of 140 million, 145 million years ago is based on clues found, carcasses brought downstream by fast-moving muddy water. You know there are lots of dinosaur graveyards all over the world. You know what the explanation they give as to how they got there almost unanimously is? A local flood, a seasonal flood, a flash flood, a regional flood, a... All the way down. Now, they're quick to put flash, local, regional, etc. Because they don't want you jumping to the outlandish conclusion that there might have been a global flood that could have buried millions of dinosaurs all at once and fossilized them exactly like you see them fossilized at the Dinosaur National Monument. You see, a flood is the best explanation as to why we have dinosaur fossils at all. And what better explanation than a global flood that brings these dinosaur graveyards together just exactly like you see them. Now, if you've been putting the pieces of information together, you understand that if the Anasazi Indians carved something that looked just like an Apatosaurus in 1000 A.D., then some of the dinosaurs must have lived through the flood. Right? So how'd they live through the flood? If they were land-living animals, they would have had to have been... Well, Kyle, that's where you're crazy. Uh, the skeptical community says... Explain this to me. How in the world are you going to get two Apatosauruses on the ark and two Tyrannosaurus rexes on the ark and two of those massive Spinosaurus on the ark? I mean, you can just see the scene, can't you? Ham comes back to his brother Shem and Japheth in a sling saying, you're feeding the Tyrannosaurus rex today, Shem? I did it yesterday. Well, hold on just a second. Uh, 
Did you ever read in your Bible that God told Noah to go find the biggest of everything that he could find and put it on the ark? No, I guess you didn't. You know, the largest dinosaur egg that we have ever found is 24 inches across. It's about this big. A little while back, I was reading a news story about a 24-foot crocodile that they found in the Philippines. He weighed 2,000 pounds. 24 feet is about eight good yards. That's what I like to see Alabama's football runners get about every time they run the ball. That's about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So from there to here, that's 24 feet. That's how long this crocodile was. He weighed 2,000 pounds when they found him, 24 feet long. You know how big he was when he hatched out of his egg? About six inches long, about the same as all crocodiles when they hatch out of their egg. If the largest dinosaur egg we've ever found was 24 inches, wouldn't it make good sense that God brought to Noah and his family young dinosaurs? Would have cut down on space that they would have needed, cut down on food that they would have needed to carry, water supplies that they would have needed to carry? And when those dinosaurs got on the ark and they lived through the flood and afterward the climate was drastically changed and there weren't nearly as many of them because many of them had been turned into fossils at the bottom of those vast graveyards created by the flood. But it makes sense that over the course of centuries they would eventually go extinct like so many other animals like saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You see, you take all the evidence. Creationists don't have a problem with dinosaurs. Somebody does. Somebody that's startled when you find a carving that looks just like a dinosaur. Somebody says that there's a convincing representation of a stegosaurus. Somebody that says, oh yeah, we can preserve soft soft tissue for 70 million years. We've got, somebody has a problem. But it's not the creationist. Isn't it time we take God's creation back and use it to teach about his glory? You know what I find? There are some people who simply do not want there to be a God. Because if there is a God, then their behavior has to change. And so they will look for anything that they can find to say, well, I would believe in God, but the the dinosaurs pose such a big problem for me, I just can't. Wrong. No, they don't. Well, I would believe in God, but uh, there's so much proof for evolution, I I just can't... Wrong, there's not. Well, I would believe... How many times does God have to show you this is truth for you to believe in Him? Is there something getting in the way of your relationship with God? Is it because you want to be accepted by the greater scientific world and so you try to take their ideas and you want to hold on to them just as long as you can so you can fit there? Is it because, hey, there's some stuff you do at work that you know probably if God were standing right next to you in the form of Jesus Christ, he wouldn't like what you do. And and so you're going to just try to get rid of that God and push it as far back into your mind as possible. Is there a reason that you don't want to believe in God because at night you get on your computer and you look at stuff that you know that that God wouldn't want you to look at? Is there a reason you don't want to believe in God because if you do and you believe in God's plan of salvation as is noted and put out straightforwardly in the New Testament, well, that would mean there are several people that you know and love 
who might not be in a right relationship with God, and you don't want to admit that. I was listening to a person tell me the other day, there was a guy in their congregation said he came all the time, was regular, faithful, until from about November to January 31st. And they had studied with him. He had probably heard thousands and thousands of gospel messages. And they went to him and they said, you know what you need to do to be a Christian. You know you need to repent and be baptized into Christ. You know that you need to confess the name of Jesus. You know what you need to do to become a Christian. He said, oh, I know. I know exactly what I need to do. The lady who was telling me this, she said, well, why don't you? He said, well, let me tell you. He said, I love to deer hunt. Love it. And he said, if I'm not a Christian right now, when I go out to my deer camp on the weekends and I hunt on Saturday and I hunt on Sunday, he said, I don't feel guilty about skipping Sunday because I'm not a Christian. I don't feel like I need to go worship God. He said, but I've thought through it. And if I become a Christian, then I will feel guilty about skipping services on Sunday. And he said, and so, because I like deer hunting so much, from November to January 31st, I won't be there. And I'm not going to feel guilty about it, so I'm not becoming a Christian. There was just something that he wanted more than he wanted the truth. Is there something that you have been wanting more than the truth? What's keeping you back this night from saying, God, I believe you. I know who you are, and I know what you've done. And I appreciate you creating me, and I want to be your servant, and I want to do anything you ask me to do. I'm sorry for my sins. I want to be your follower, and I want to be your servant. Is there something that's keeping you back from that tonight? Sure hope there's not. Can't imagine. In fact, there's not something that's more important than your relationship with God. If you have not become a Christian, a follower of Christ, God in the flesh, won't you do that tonight and respond to His invitation as we stand and as we sing that invitation song?